0: Retrospectives.
1: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the back row from what I watched tonight. My name is Matt Hudson, and this is episode three of Retrospectives. In these recurring shows, I'm going to be chatting about my favourite movies. But it's not quite that big-headed, because I'm going to be joined by a guest who just so happens to love that movie too. And tonight for episode three, we're going to be diving into into a a modern classic, I think you could probably call it. We're going to be talking about Gladiator from 2000. And joining me in the back row, the we in this show, is the Hertfordshire legend. It's Katie Stubbs, also <laughs> known as Katie. How are you doing, mate?
0: <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. That's the first time I've managed to... Um, say your name in a high voice with you on the other end of the line so I feel this it's a <laughs> breakthrough.
0: And like I like he said Hertfordshire legend not Stevenage legend we're not going to go on to football so
1: <laughs> Well, I mean Stevenage I'm from Woking. Um, oh God, <laughs> Katie supports Stevenage for some reason or another the two teams have had this decades long rivalry which I've never been able to explain to anyone.
0: We'll be the ones we'll be the ones to bring them back together. It's
1: fine. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> Stevenage the cards and what's Stevenage's nickname? Um God. It's just borough. It's just borough. borough. So the car- cards in the borough. Let's, let's, let's come together. I've been to Stevenage. It's fine. And I made it out or, alive. It's fine. So, come on, guys. Stevenage. We I mean, both wear the same colours anyway. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about football. Not soccer. Football. Lower league football as well. So, But let's not talk about Stevenage's deficiencies. <laughs> Stevenage borough. Christ. So, yeah. As I said, we're here to talk Gladiator. The film is 19 years old now. It's legally able to drink in the UK. <laughs> and it's directed by none other than Ridley Scott. Let's get the boring bit out of the way now. It stars Russell Crowe as Maximus. I'm not going to say the whole name. Okay, Maximus Decimus, Decimus Meridius. Meridius. That's it.
0: I could say that line forever.
1: <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix as a joker. Oh, I mean, Commodus. Oliver Reed, old Oliver Reed as Proximo. Jimon Hunsu as Juba, Richard Harris, Sir Richard Harris as Marcus Aurelius. Connie Nielsen as Lucilla and many more. And if you don't know what the film's about, well, well, you're going to know all about it by the end of this. The synopsis says, Set in Roman times, it's the story of a once powerful general forced to become a common gladiator. The emperor's son is enraged when he is passed over as heir in favour of his daddy's favourite general. He kills his father and arranges the murder of the general's family. And the general is sold into slavery to be chained as a gladiator. But his subsequent popularity in the arena threatens the throne. It made $460.5 million dollars from $103 million budget so it made its money back and more get this Mm. second highest grossing film of 2000 it was $90 million behind Mission Impossible 2 so Um. before we jump in as a warning there will be spoilers for the movie throughout it's going to be more spoiler filled than my daughter's old nappies we're going to be discussing (laughs) specific moments from the film so if you haven't seen it find yourself 2 hours 50 minutes go watch it come back and listen to me and Katie basically to shoot this gladiatorial breeze. So bear that in mind. So enough from me rambling on. Let's hear from you, Katie, the Hertfordshire legend. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess first thing is, when did you first see Gladiator?
0: Uh, thinking back to when I first saw it, I must have been about, I want to say 14, maybe 15. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of under the age of when you're meant to watch it, but it mm-hmm. was nonetheless brilliant and still kind of mind-blowing to me because I always think it, it's um, probably... Being sappy, it's probably a film that's very special to me because it is the first. I'm I'm doing quotations here. Adult film <laughs> I watched, obviously with it being adult, quite violent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite violent and <laughs> the swearing and just all that type of stuff. Yeah, Films. Yeah. So I, I'm I guess people, kids at that age aren't used to watching things like that, so that definitely made it more impactful for me. Definitely at that age you know, seeing all the violence and stuff and just the epic battles and, and everything like that. And the very, I still find it kind of, I still find it very creepy now. That just the very creepy performance, very fantastic creepy performance of uh, Joaquin as Commodus. It's so, it was just, it's just such a good film and it's definitely had a impact on my interests. Like, mm. I want to say like everything, like if there's ever like a Roman TV show or, we've, I want to say like Roman, ancient Greece, because they're quite, Similar, similar, yeah. similar styles and things like that. But you know, if there's ever like a Roman T, you know, TV show, video game, anything like that that like gets advertised, it's always got my interest because I'm just—it's all thanks to Gladiator. I'm definitely been absorbed into that sort of um, that period of history mainly because of this film. And even though it's a very—it's
1: so not beholden to what's not, really be- happened. Yeah, yet. yeah,
0: that's what I'm trying to say. That it's um.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, you know, it's because it's not set on the legend of hercules or zeus i think yeah. yeah they had a bit it is set on like it's kind of based loosely on um stories from the time i believe but yeah i
0: think the only thing if i'm correct that actually like existed was um marcus aurelius and his son commodus mm-hmm. but i don't know if like commodus actually murdered his father because I he th- wasn't given like the le- you know rulership of the of of the land, I don't know if that's actually true, but I think that's the only thing I I can remember thinking that is true is that obviously Aurelius was a real person and so was his son Commodus, but everything else I would like to believe is fictional.
1: I think Aurelius died of like the flu or something like this, and Commodus did take over in in real life, and people thought he was all right actually, and then he became more of the tyrant we see in the film. Yeah. People turned against him. So
0: Cause I would very much like to think that Commodus was, you know, but they were probably creating the, you know, the the role that Joaquin Phoenix would um for, like perform. Mm-hmm. I would like to say probably maybe they had uh, Julius Caesar in mind. Yes. Very much so.
1: Yeah. he, he Yeah. There was, a, there was a massive Caesar element to him, I think. And that's funny because when I was in Stephen, I did see someone wearing like full gladiator outfit with a sword. Now I know it was Katie. That's how much it's influenced her. <laughs> it. But no, that's interesting you say that actually because this film has had a massive impact on the on like historically, not in terms of changing the future, but there was a big old boom of of people being interested suddenly in these kind historical of films. Yeah, the historical films, but also just like the documentaries, the books, and I mean, if just some of the films that have come out since, um, obviously Troy and Alexander, things like that. the Three Hundred. Uh, yeah. Kingdom of Heaven, which was a uh, and Exodus, Gods and Kings, which is Ridley Scott as also, well.
0: I also bring up, um, even though it's not Roman, it's it was set in Scotland. Braveheart was um, done, yeah, roughly around the same time. I think that's a I think they good kind of competed. I haven't seen, I haven't seen that. But...
1: That's a really good. I think it's about yeah, a year or two before. That's a good film as well. I
0: always feel like people compare oh, these two films, Gadir and Braveheart. I'm not sure if Braveheart was first. Or... I
1: think Braveheart was '97 or '98, so about a couple of years, a couple of years pr- uh, prior.
0: But also, um, that's what I was trying to think of earlier before I went off. Well, before my brain just died of it was because um, obviously we both love Star Wars and things like that. We do. But, so Star Wars automatically go as one goes into like my favourite film of all time. Ooh. But um, but then I mo- But then I'll always say if you take Star Wars away because it's in its own category for me. Gladiator is my favourite film of all time. And um, I went to for my twenty first birthday. I actually went to Rome. Went nice. to Rome. And it's probably gonna gonna stay with me for the rest of my life. One of the like the most memorable holidays I had. It was just mm-hmm. me and my dad, and it was um you know just looking around Rome, going to the Colosseum, went to the Vatican, just went to all these historical places. And it's you know you think like someone that's someone that's twenty one, it doesn't feel like that's what normally they they're into because yeah. it's you know. I reckon there's probably people out there that were similar age would think that's just boring. But for me, I just couldn't get enough of it. And you know, I went to the Coliseum and obviously it doesn't look how it does in the film, obviously. No. But it's all um, you know, it's all crumbled and things like that. But it's still just walking around inside it and you know, it's as I did. As I place. did. Yeah, as I did. I was just thinking, like, you know, scenes in Gladiator. Like you look yeah. down at the middle and stuff, and you think like that could have happened in there and things like that. And it was just mental. And the fact that the Coliseum was um built by man by slaves. Yeah, that, as well, that, yeah. That, you know, as horrible as it is, still blows blows my mind. Still a hell like of an achievement though, isn't it? It's built like that.
1: Yeah, and the stuff that went on in there, all those, yes, the Christians being slaughtered by yes. the lions and all that, but still, is it's history. It's mm-hmm. ancient history, and yeah, that that's like the first, we, we, I mean, we, 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 we jest and have a laugh about the football, but... You know, that's I think that's a similar vibe because back in those, that's the first stadium. That's basically, what
0: their sport was. Yeah, you know,
1: people would get together and they and, and as gladiators we're going to speak about. The crowds were up for it. The crowds, you know, live live or whatever they were shouting. They're they're chanting in unison together. Once you Making get into that bets coliseum and
0: everything like that, it's a... yeah.
1: Once you enter the coliseum, everybody. everybody and everybody's pretense leaves them. Your your class or your background is doesn't matter. Once you're in that coliseum, everyone's there for the same reason. Similar similar to sporting events. Once you're in that stadium, you're all fans together for that ninety minutes or however long it is. Yeah. So And uh, that's why I like to say that wicked. the
0: um yeah, the um I feel like the in the film, the audience when they get to the Coliseum is almost like a character in itself. Yeah. because they want to proximo which is um Oliver Reed's character, who is the when maximus become gets on to slavery and proximo take is the one that buys him and basically he buys a lot of men and trains yeah. them to be gladiators and stuff so basically proximo became his teacher and um his mentor and he he always said you know if you you've got to win the audience you've got to get the audience on your side otherwise you won't last long in the colosseum at all and for half the film when he was you know when maximus was working his way up the ranks as a gladiator that was like the audience was becoming almost like a character cuz uh you know, he did everything I think to to pee off um Joaquin Phoenix's character Commodus, but he did everything he could do, he he could do to please the audience yeah. all the time.
1: He's a showman. Yeah, he's a he's the first greatest showman. Now you're right. The the audience in should we just, should we just jump? Should we just jump into what we like, then? Let's yeah. let's, let's let's get go. into so so mentioning those kind of scenes. Then we're talking about the crowd scenes. I mean, a lot of my favourite scenes. I do have some more uh, quiet, introspective moments, but a lot of my favourite scenes of course, are those big moments in the various arenas or the fight moments. And of course, you've got um, the f- ones with uh, the duel, Maximus versus uh, Tigris of Gaul. Um, yeah,
0: firstly, that's, the, that's when the, obviously the Tigers come out and stuff, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. is masked, but first he was badass to start with. Yeah. yeah. And they're dueling together and Tigris is um, undefeated. So you've got Maximus, the rising star, who is also like you know undefeated against Tigris. And um, Commodus is in the arena and he's with Lucilla and he's basically saying, in a nutshell, he basically says, I have rigged this, so that buster dies, yeah. basically. And max they're fighting. These tigers come out of nowhere and start mauling at um, Maximus, who, who then obviously gets the upper hand, um, stabs Tigris through the foot. And then you've got the crowd are scr- are shouting, you know, what, you know what's going to happen? Um, Commodus lifts his thumb up and down. And then we've got that moment, brilliant moment where he called Maximus the Merciful. But the crowd in that scene... Yeah. Is pivotal because they it looks like it into, Maximus they is going to, just to kill him. him. Exactly, they wanted to kill him, and it and it shows that dichotomy of the audience: what they're there for, they're therefore they're there for the death, the murder, and the sport in it. Maximus isn't that kind of person. He's doing it because well, that's that's pretty much what he has to do to survive now. And I, that's for, for the first scene, for me anyway, I love that. Do you know what I also liked about that scene? Right. I'm gonna, I'm pretty. We know damn well we're gonna mention the score to this film but that jewel is so had no music and, I, I, and quite a lot of them and i love the fact that it's just excuse the terminology just grunting <laughs> swords slapping each other just
0: the clanging of the swords and yeah. the balls of the tigers and things exactly. like that. exactly
1: and it's just those kind of um natural noises if you will so that was like my first one but what did you think about that and any more for you
0: um well that scene i really do like as i said it has most for throughout a lot of this film there's always a lot of gory bits and stuff, but that mm-hmm. that part in particular where he steps him in the foot, that that always makes me yeah. cringe. <laughs> it oh. always makes me cringe because <laughs> you just, I don't know, I just try and imagine what that would feel like. Immediately, that's like, whack right it's the, in the, way foot. the bullet
1: it's, spuds it's, up.
0: But then it's also just the again performance of um and Phoenix. You can see that he's so conniving at that point that he's like, I really want to kill this person. I want to kill. <laughs> I want to kill this guy, and he thinks it's going to happen, or he yeah, or he really. And then that doesn't happen. But then he basically wants it, he, he, he disobeys him, basically, when he says, yeah. okay, you kill him. And he's like, no, I'm not going to kill him. He just throws, throws the weapon down and he's like, that's that. And you can just see him Commodus's his face. It's like he's really trying to, obviously, just <laughs> you
1: know, push his buttons.
0: Yeah, things like that. <laughs> but um, I would say probably one of my favourite scenes in the film is... I've got multiple. Obviously, we'll get to some. We'll get to most hell, of them. Yeah. But um, the beginning of the film. It's actually yeah. probably one of the best openings to a film. Just yeah, That yeah. huge battle against uh, the tribes and Germanic tribe, primitive yeah. people of German- Germania and things That's like it. that. I just love it. There's so many quotes in there that I can remember, you know, on my signal, unleash hell. Yes. You know, things like that. It's like things, just so like that. And that makes me just go into something else that Russell Crowe, in most films I've seen him in, he can't keep an accent to save his life. <laughs> he really, really can't. Like yeah, I watched right. I watched Robin Hood with him in it. Oh, and Jesus. it's not great. It's really not great. I mean, the best part, I guess, is uh, Oscar Isaac as is King John, but that's about Brr, it. Yeah. <laughs> But um you know he goes from so many different accents in that film. Robin Hood's a northerner, and he goes, I think, you know, he just goes from northern to Scottish to his na- to his name to where he's from and things like that. But then in He's just, I don't know, he just, keeps a, he, he just keeps a good accent and stuff in Gladiator, and that's why the quotes and all his lines sound pretty badass and things like that. But the music as well in that scene, like that's probably one of the best pieces of music in the film mm-hmm. from Hans Zimmer. It was really, really good. It's such an epic, epic opening to a film. And, yeah, so gory and just so epic, you know, when they're charging in they flank them and they come in from behind and and things like that. It's just uh, so good. And the choreography, choreography and cinematography, Brilliant.
1: It's got everything you want from a battle. Beheadings, immolation, you get limbs <laughs> getting lopped off left, right and centre. Yeah, exactly, you've got Russell Crowe maintaining an accent. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just a brutal fight and the editing isn't so fast-paced that you can't see what's going on. Nowadays, quite a lot, you get a lot of battles and the editing's so choppy that you're trying to keep up and you think, Jesus, who, what's going on? Who's fighting who? Who's died? <laughs> they, let it, they let it breathe somewhat. It's still frantic and there are moments where it, you get these kind of like strange... Slow, Almost like slow motion moments. Yeah, there was,
0: there's, um, yeah, it was like right near the end of the battle when I think I don't, I don't know, I can't remember when it happened. I don't because I, I remember right, Maximus gets like knocked off his horse and stuff like that, and he yes, has yes, to fight right, on yeah. foot. And that's when it kind of starts, and then a dog starts mauling one of the one of the <laughs> soldiers right, yeah. and stuff, and that's when the slow motion starts, and you kind of think, is it meant to be like, I don't know what the right what the right word is, but it's just it it still fits in. It still fits in, even in this chaotic battle.
1: And there's a technical reason for that as well. Um, I, I found this out a while ago. But where, where, where? Obviously, Ridley Scott was filming that scene. There's, there's a lot of extras involved. There's a lot of imagine how much practical work is on that. There's fires so there's there's fires, mm-hmm. there's animals, there's men, there's weapons, there's stuff that, he, and that continuity wise. To come back the next day would have been a nightmare to try and set it up exactly the same as it was where they left off. So basically, they kept shooting into the low light. So they had to change the um, something on the camera. Sort of the, I I call it the low light settings, but whatever they're called. To okay. be able to capture in low light. So that's why you've got that kind of slow motion and what like blurred effect at times. Because so is that the only slow motion
0: shot in the film? Pretty much, yeah. I think it is. I'm trying to think of any anymore.
1: Pretty much, and it's it's intentional because when I when I watched it, rewatched it, because of course I, I rewatched it to, for this show. I was I, I'd forgotten about it, and I thought like, it's a really odd artistic choice just to go slow motion." And then I and then I remembered. Then I read up about it again. I was like, "Okay, yeah, there was there was a reason for it, um, but it 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 works just fine for me."
0: And it goes in, it blends in very well with Hans Zimmer's music coming because you know, you got the bits where there's there's people colliding, the horses are, you know, throwing off the riders and just being squashed and everything like that. And the music sounds very chaotic as well Mm -hmm. because it just builds up, builds up and up and up until that big crescendo of just everyone bashing together and everything (laughs) like that. But then the music gets very nice, mellow and. Almost, I want to say soothing in a weird way. When, serene, definitely. Yeah, singer. serene when it, when it's when, you know when it, when the um the footage starts slowing down and stuff. So that's really good. That was a good blend of music and uh, and cinematography.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. Hans Zimmer's score was magnificent. And on Russell Crowe's accent, like I said, the Mummy that came out recently—that absolute p- pipe blocker from <laughs> Tom with Tom Cruise in it. What the hell was Russell Crowe's accent there? He had this cockney accent. And it was abysmal. And again, he kept diving in and out of this absolute sort of Dick Van Dyke, Cockney um, accent. If you haven't heard it, it's not quite as bad as Keanu Reeves in um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. But ain't far off. It's it's abysmal. And this has come from somebody who's a huge... I think Russell Crowe is one of the top five working actors today. I think Russell Crowe is spectacular. In this film as well, he's brilliant. Uh, I believe he won Best Actor for this film.
0: He did. And he's and I be, excellent. Uh, I guess I'll get back We'll get onto that at
1: another time. Yeah, I, I, go right
0: into it now. Your choice,
1: but <laughs> no, whatever you want. Let's let's just go. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about Maximus because we're hit. Because I mean, let's let's talk about Maximus and let's talk about um, Commodus. And get let's get those character bits out of the way because they that you know they're big. Obviously, they're big parts of the film, but yeah, they are probably the most crucial aspects of why the film is so good. The narrative is great. The script's great. The score's great. But without Russell Crowe and Whacking Phoenix's you know, powerhouse performances. Imagine imagine if their performances had been 75%. You know, not quite as good as they had been. Film Does the film still succeed? Good. Yeah.
0: But no. No, um, I'm definitely... If I've... That's what I think if... Because um, I can't remember if Joaquin Phoenix was actually nominated for one as well.
1: He was nominated for Supporting Actor but didn't win it.
0: Because <sighs> that's the thing. I thought, like, he deserved to probably win it. Yeah. I really, really did, right? Because obviously... Russell Crowe, Maximus, was the main character, and he's he plays a you know a stellar performance. That you know the guy trying to basically you know he's a general, and he get you know he, he just, all he just all he wants to do is go home. He's been away from his family for a long time and things yeah. like that, and he is just about to go home, which makes obviously the death of his family more tragic that he's actually just about to go home and see them anyway. And obviously his family gets murdered by Commodus, and um you know, and then that the film becomes basically almost like a revenge mission for him. Like he he find he finds himself in circumstances that he's like, okay, now I can work my way up and actually get to Commodus and, mm-hmm. and kill him for what he did. So that's, co- like, half of the film is almost like a revenge mission and stuff, but it's just, co- but Joaquin Phoenix, I think, is the standout performance for me in the movie as probably one of the best villain portrayals of all time, in my opinion, just because mm-hmm. it's, he's evil. I mean, he starts, off, he starts off as, I guess, like a spoiled kid, I want to say, kind of. like yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he does. He want he wants to be in charge, but he is also there's also that side where you are like I don't feel sympathy with him, but he kind of can, he just wants to get earned the respect of his father, but also he just wants to be on the throne. He's like, mm-hmm. please love me, dad, but I want I just want to take your seat. That's kind of what yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: and then you know when he finds out he won't be emperor, and he goes as far to murder his own father because he you know he just wants to be emperor and obviously that's where the evil side comes out but then after that point it's there's a lot of evil there's a lot of arrogant arrogant obnoxiousness about him but then there's also probably the biggest thing just the creepiness the very big creepiness he he portrays like there's the scene with um well he wants to sleep with his sister for one as well game
1: of thrones take that yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he wants to sleep with his sister for one but then you get the, the scene with um lucilla's son lucius
1: yeah when he's is watching it? him
0: and he's just watching him sleeping and it's like i feel i feel like in his head he is thinking no. oh i can kind of pull him under my wing and make him like my little crony my little minion mm-hmm. type thing but it just and he has his own theme as well like Hans Zimmer, every time he's on screen or he's got like I don't know, just a creepy little scene, or he's got a scene where he's planning stuff. It's always a little foreboding, little creepy, like piece, of, like like a flute playing or violins or yeah, something yeah. like that. It's, it's just always got its like its own creepy little theme, and it's ah, uh, just it always sends shivers down my spine because he he plays it so well, and he's so he's such a creepy evil character.
1: He really is. Commodus is a bastard, basically. <laughs> he <laughs> he is. was. Do you know? Um, what was that geezer called? Joffrey, Joffrey from Game of Thrones. He based his character off Commodus and doesn't that show because. Really? Joffrey yeah, she took was, him as inspiration. Yeah, Joffrey was a. You wanted that. He, yeah. he, uh, I'm talking, obviously, I say this about a, a young. In, in Game of Thrones, a young, you know, child king, whatever. Young, A young teen. I wanted him to die horribly, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and Commodus is just. Wacken Phoenix, he imbues that character with such a sleaziness, but like a. Like a frighteningly terrifying yeah. creepiness, you know. There's something his eyes are, something in his eyes just isn't right. Like yeah. he's got these this dead stare, and every time he's on screen, you're not sure what's going to happen because no. he's just like a loose cannon. Yeah, I I was going to say to you, out of um, Russell Crowe and Whacking Phoenix, if you had to just put the decide and vote on who's who who did the better performance, but you mentioned Whacking Phoenix, and yeah, I tend to agree. Not that Russell Crowe wasn't good, because Russell Crowe was magnificent, but there was just something unhinged and wired about Whacking Phoenix, and he, obviously we know how um, how seriously he takes his roles, how much he dies mm-hmm. into his roles, and it, it shows here because apparently there were there were scenes where he'd get so into it he'd pass out on set, where he you know he'd get he just like the blood would go to his head so much that he would just pass out.
0: Yeah, because that's and... the thing when the scene where he's basically smothering his father to death it's yeah. you know you can kind of see almost like I think that the, was one of them yeah the spit the dribble coming out of his mouth because he's squeezing obviously he's not squeezing his head I know that <laughs> but he's squeezing <laughs> like a obviously like a model of a head or something obviously as probably as hard as he could and you know yeah you could just see all the stuff coming out of his mouth and it's like, it, it just shows he has tried his damnedest to pull this performance off
1: yeah and I believe that was one of the ones where he basically just fainted afterwards but uh, yeah so Wacken Phoenix is you know strikingly good in this film Terrifying, but he's like a more—he's like an absolutely horrible version of Heath Ledger's Joker. That like when he's on screen, you just want to watch him. You just—you're yeah. you're, you're compelled to watch him. But of course, he's—he takes that madness a couple of notches up from that. So um, about Russell Crowe, though, I thought I thought Russell Crowe was great because whereas Wacky Phoenix had to sort of go a bit more—I don't want to say over the top, because—but in terms of the character, he was bigger and louder and more brash. Yeah. Russell Crowe had at, at times he had to be the uh, the opposite of that to me. Of course, he had to be kind of the bravado gladiator, but he had to deal with a more emotional side, which wasn't anger; it was um, sadness and revenge, and so yeah. quite, quite a little bit quieter almost. And I think he was fa- fantastic And Again, the scene where he finds his where he finds his family wife and yes, his and he just basically bursts out into emotion. I thought that was brilliant. That the like you mentioned, the lines he has in this film, the iconic lines. He delivers them so well. And I mean, I, think I, feel, I feel he was—he like... deserved to be up there for the best actor of the year for for that year. I think. I mean, looking at the people who he was up against, he was up against some very good performances. But you know, I'm not going to deny him his his his, his win.
0: Mm-hmm. And I feel like one. Of, I think one of the most. I w- well, I would judge it as a very iconic line from a movie, you know, and that is, are you not entertained? Yeah. <laughs> like, just that moment where he's, and again, that's where he's showing off, like, his, I want to say, badassery. That's the right word to say. It. It's, like, it's a word now. It's a, it's a word as well. um, You know, because he's there, he's fighting and things like that. And I think just before that, that battle took place, I think he was, because I actually, when I watched this, um, I didn't watch it, like, in the last couple of days, but I watched it probably about a month ago mm-hmm. to show a friend who hadn't watched the film before. And I think the the um, one I found was um it was um the extended edition, which yes. I I kind of thought because the film was a bit longer and and there's not huge changes between the normal edition and the extended edition. It's basically just some scenes are more elongated. They've mm-hmm. like there's basically you know they don't cut off straight away. They're shown a little bit more. But one of them was um and this was added in the extended edition, was Proximo before that battle telling him you need to kind of put on a show, kind Oof. of not just kill everyone outright, <laughs> come out <laughs> the gates and basically stab, 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 you're dead, because he at that point he was the best gladiator in that arena. All yeah. the others were quite amateurish compared to him. But that's because he was a general, he knows how to fight already. But, mm. um, and after he killed them all, he then, you know, that's when he was like, he was just walking around the dead bodies thinking, okay, and then he just froze the sword up to where like all the snooty politicians yeah. or people that have placed their bets are just sitting and i think that's what he, he was proving because he's obviously been told before that fight you're not entertaining people because you're just outright killing them so i like that's like one of my favorite scenes in that in the film as well just him basically saying to the people that are betting on him and watching him you're not entertained by this yeah. and they and they are they eventually they start clapping and they start cheat, chanting his name so they are they are um, entertained by him It's that
1: really satisfying clang of the sword as as he when he throws it at the at the higher, the echelons, yeah. and everyone in the crowd sort of going, oh! it's, and yeah, that, and again, when you know when a scene is, uh, a line is iconic, when people say it, the I say it, most of the time, or <laughs> it's, it's parodied, or it's memed, and, yeah. I mean, it's, every time there's, it, I mean, journalists and magazines will use that line, a lot, they'll run with that line an awful lot for, if the ratings are low for a TV show, or or something else, but they'd always put like, are you not entertained? And it's brilliant, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I I can't remember if it was that line or not, but it was, there was one line that Russell Crowe f- thought was absolute crap, basically. But um, he, 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 but he became popular. It. Yeah, and it may have... I'm not sure if it is that one or it was another one. There might have been one a bit later in the film, but there was one or two. But I'm glad he did, because that line is brilliant. And the scene itself was great because yeah because he just basically just lays waste to all of those punks in the most devastating way yeah and it makes it look easy literally within the space of a minute or a minute or a minute and a half yeah they're all dead they're all just just limbs on the floor and he's just kind of like come on guys come on yeah is this not good enough for you (laughs) this is what you want this is what you're here for and i'm doing it i really like that scene again it's funny because most of our scenes are those those big 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 scenes and of course there's a big big scene at the end, which. Um, we can get into but I guess for a quieter scene I really like a scene which I have really mentioned um, Marcus Aurelius too much Sir Richard Harris, God rest his soul Yeah, it's Marcus Aurelius and Maximus and they're basically having this kind of qu- quiet chat about Rome, what's going yeah. to become Rome and Maximus sits down and describes his home to Marcus Aurelius and it's just a great quiet scene, Sir Richard Harris is Excellent pre Dumbledore. Yeah, and they kind of talk together uh, in their words as men, and it's Marcus Aurelius is sort of saying how how am I going to be remembered? And he offers he basically offers Maximus the title of Protector of Rome, and they're like you know let us whisper together you and I. Yeah. tell me about your home and Russell Crowe. This is one of the ones he ad-libs. He's basically the the home he describes as his own home in Australia oh, when really? he's saying that like, the poplar <laughs> and it smells of herbs and that. He's actually discussing his own home because it did. I always think that every time I hear it, I love this scene. I think it's a powerful scene, but I always think it's very specific, like pop I was like now, <laughs> Then now, I, when I realize that it's just basically him riffing about his own gaff, then I it makes more sense. But I really like that scene. It's just a there. There are other scenes like this, quieter moments, which doesn't involve death, blood, and gore. But yeah, I really like that scene because it it shows Maximus. You know, he's offered his protective and He's like, no. And the way Marcus um, kind of embraces him afterwards is almost like, yeah, "That's my boy." I knew you were going to yeah, say that. You know. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, no. But so I, 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 that was one of the quietest scenes I really
0: liked. I like it because I do like that one. I wouldn't say it's a favourite, but I do like. I know what you mean. That mm. it's probably one of the better or better, yeah, better quieter ones. Not better in that. other scenes are not good, but you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. But um, I, thought I like it because it is him talking about Rome and. What it has become, mm-hmm. because yeah. I because he wants it to become a republic again. Mm-hmm. So you know, kind of makes me think of Star Wars. Republic, <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs> I haven't but, got um, Luke here to do the voice. <laughs> but it's become, you know, all the politicians and bureaucrats again. Very similar to Star Wars like, you know, have taken. Like set their roots down, and you know it's become very corrupt. And the corrupt, yeah, and things like that. And you know that's what Marcus Aurelius wants Maximus to do because he finds him very honourable, and he would probably put the power back to the people and things mm-hmm. like that because that's he, he at that point. I feel like he at that point I feel like is the people, so mm-hmm. he knows best because he is the he does he you know he he is the people. If that makes yeah yeah
1: he's <coughs> he's, he's uncorrupted. He's yeah he stands for the he's like he's like a representation of. You know the good that Rome can give, yeah. Offer, but, yeah.
0: but then another quiet scene. Now that we're on that subject. Yeah. Is um, it's more towards the end of the film. It features working Phoenix again. But it's after their whole plan or mm-hmm. coup has been thwarted, and they've all been captured. And you know, um, Tommy Tommy Flan-, Tommy Flan Tommy Flanagan's character Cicero, Cicero, yeah, was panged and everything like that. And I kind of like, since I um watched. Um, Gladiator last. Mm-hmm. I I've been watching Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah. Is, it's such a great TV show. I don't know if you've watched it. But Do you it know right? what?
1: I'm really bad at TV because I watch films, and everybody tells me I need to watch all these different TV shows, and I haven't. The only one I watch is Prison Break. I yeah, watched that. Watch. I really enjoyed that. I watch Match <laughs> of the Day, but I really need to start watching. <laughs> Uh, I watched the first few episodes of Stranger Things recently, so I have started, and not because I don't want to, because TV nowadays, as you know, probably better than I do. TV nowadays is just like mini films, it, it anyway. Rivals films, yeah. it does. So I really but, need um, to, but yes, Tommy, um, Sons of Anarchy.
0: But Tom, Tom's uh, Tommy Flanagan was in Sons of Anarchy, and mm. that, so I'd, but he's much younger, obviously, in Gladiator. Yes, but the other, obviously, people would were, were also known from Guardians of the Galaxy because he was in that yeah. for a brief bit. Um, but no, it was really cool just to see him in this film. But yeah, anyway, it's after their whole plan has been thwarted and basically his Maximus's servant friend Cicero has been hanged, Lucille's been captured, his son taken away. Maximus has been thrown obviously in the dungeons for the time being. And um it just goes to um Commodus the morning after that all happened. And he's got his sister sitting on a chair, and yeah. he's then and he's kind of saying, not to her. She obviously he knows she can hear what will happen to her if she or to her her son sorry, if yeah. she tries to retaliate or escape or do anything like that and it's just and I think it's featured in probably the main trailer for Gladiator is when he says am I not merciful and she just, and he goes to kiss her and she moves her face away and then you can feel the music kind of building up a lot and he just you know he forcefully grabs her face and he shouts am I not merciful he in her sees, face it's, it's, screams in her face and it's and I, I wonder if that was in, improvised. Because if it that was improvised, that would probably scare the hell out of her. It, it
1: was improvised. And that's why she oh, looks but. like she's just bricked herself.
0: <laughs> that's, just, that's that's just mind blowing. That's fantastic. That is. Now, that's probably one of my favourite scenes in terms of uh, quieter scenes without all the battles and stuff. Oh, so good. But then it leads on, obviously, to a really good, sad, but really good ending as well. Yeah.
1: Uh, poor, poor, first all, poor old Connie Nilsen she's just doing her job and then whacking Phoenix gets I just love the idea of whacking Phoenix getting literally so into it he just he just loses himself and thinks he's the character and just starts bellowing in this poor woman's face and she's like Jesus <laughs> whacking!" Yeah. but it's it's also tested because people mention him in that scene as they should but you've got to think you've got to also mention Connie Nilsen because that's, that's unscripted she's obviously they're, they're in character and then obviously he's just broken mm-hmm. broken script if you will Done that, but she reacts obviously she looks scared generally. Yeah. But she doesn't drop her character. And you know, that's must be a hard thing to do too, because yeah. you're startled and it probably would be quite easy to be like, Ugh but, Yeah, um, I know yes. Yeah. She does so well <laughs> to keep her keep her cool in that thing.
0: But then um before that another scene that just gets just popped into my mind is when he's I think he's worked out the plot. He's worked it out and he's mm-hmm. talking to Lucius and it's about the um the bumbling bees or something like that he tells a story about bumblebees or something like that like you know and he's basically saying as she as she's there sitting there and kind of like what because at that point she's worried she doesn't want her son anywhere near him because he's dangerous and he's Mm -hmm. well she's basically going behind her brother's back to take him off the throne and possibly kill him and things like that so and he and she knows if he catches her she's most likely going to be killed in, in her mind at that point um, but then it's just him, how he's telling this story, uh, basically about this, like the bee, this one bee betraying all the other bees, or something like that. It's obviously told in a very simplistic way for the purpose of Lucius the child. Mm-hmm. But you can tell because he's he's telling it, but he's staring right at her as he's telling that story, yeah. like basically, like I know what you've done,
1: yeah,
0: you're... and you're in trouble,
1: yeah, yeah, that's it,
0: and it's the side. so. It's, it's spine chilling that is because you can even there's some there's I think there's a bit of a it's just a bit where Lucius kind of is looking at him and then at his mother like he, he's kind of like worried he looks almost worried as well at that point like he thinks there's something going on that I don't and, like that I don't know about type thing but no it's just him staring daggers at his sister as he's telling the story to her son that you've portrayed me so you're in trouble and
1: <laughs> wow. a good scene that leads into the big finale I mean and. It's funny because we all, all this, most of the scenes we're mentioning now, you know, most of them center around the Commodus character, which is which is interesting as well. Because obviously, I mentioned the one of Marcus Aurelius mm-hmm. and Maximus. Most of the moments that I remember from this, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them do revolve around Commodus. Just because Wacking Phoenix was such a magnetic performer in this film, and obviously, Christ only really knows Joker comes out this week. Mm-hmm. Controversy aside, he looks stunning. In that film, I haven't seen it, so I can't say for definite. I'm going
0: to go see it this weekend, so and as, I'm as very. Mine, I
1: can't wait. I I, I hope it's going to be good.
0: I'm very much expecting, obviously Commodus vibes. <laughs> so, I'm expecting you know.
1: one of the best performances of the year from what I've heard. But again, open mind and all that. But in this film, I, I a lot of the moments that spring to mind are just as much about Commodus than Maximus because Maximus gets a lot of the major lines and moments, but Commodus's performance is a lot what is what I remember a lot. But um yeah, you mentioned it goes into that big old sad finale and it's is to show down the whole film's been building up to, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. And he and again it proves a very Ah, like a big characteristic of Commodus's character, that he's a coward. That yeah. he, you know, basically Maximus there is there in chains and he's, you know, he's been caught and he probably knows he's going to be sentenced to be killed in the arena. Um, he doesn't know in what way. But then Commodus comes in and he just shows off his cowardness and his arrogant obnoxiousness that he's like, yeah, I'll fight you. I can, I can probably fight you. I can I'll kill you. you. But I'll only fight you if you're, you know, if you're fatally wounded. Oh, dying! <laughs> that's the yeah. Thing. yeah, and then you know, he gives him the old stab in the in. I think it was like the ribs or the heart or something like that. Yeah,
1: the, yeah oh. that's
0: the thing. He can't fight. He can't fight him like just one on one because he knows he'll probably lose.
1: He would have been. He would have had his bum handed to him. I think had he fought, <laughs> had he fought a like a, a bloodthirsty unleashed Maximus, as good as Commodus would have been and, and was as a warrior. Uh, un- an unleashed Maximus, yeah, you know, who just wanted blood, I is mean, going to tear him to pieces.
0: The only time you see Commodus actually doing any sword fighting is at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. before yeah, yeah. before everything kind of spirals out of control, when I mean, Maximus just watches him do his, like, I guess, his sword training with all his servants and stuff. And that's yeah, and he's got good reflexes and stuff, but obviously they're almost like paid to like fail. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Christ, so yeah, that's, it's the only time you really see him doing any fighting, so yeah.
1: and. And even then, when he does fight, he's he's fighting Maximus. Maximus is basically fighting one armed, and he's still holding his own. And and Commodus gets a shot in because uh, on on his um, back of his calf, I believe. But what another thing I like about that final battle is it basically just turns into a fist fight towards the end, which (laughs) is the most sort of pure raw form of aggression you could have, where. These two... Well, well, I say these two men. Maximus is basically just beating the living... He's beating the hell out of McCommodus with his bare hands, which is kind of as raw as you can get. But yeah, the sword, the, the, the jewel between them is... It's impressive in the sense that yeah, he's got one arm and he's still holding his own. Yeah. But a, 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 a fully limbed Maximus is is, is taking McCommodus to the cleaners.
0: Yeah, and I, and I like it because obviously when he, give, he gives him another blow... Because obviously he is kind of, he's basically dying at that yeah, point. He is, yeah. He's like Carlo um, Yeah, <laughs> and you know he needs—he looks very weak after he's been cut. So Commodus is like, "Well, come on, I haven't got a sword on me." And he goes to the, the head general. Yeah. Like, give me your sword so I can kill him. And he and you know the and he doesn't. But all the other soldiers were about to give him a sword, and he actually gives the order like, "Sheave your swords, do you not it. give him a sword because I want this. I want to stand honourably. Yeah, yeah. As as honourably as it can." In that situation, because he, really
1: he saw him stab Maximus yeah. as well, so he knows what's he knows that this isn't a fair fight to start with.
0: Oh, it's such a good it's such a good one. It's a, and then you know, he you know, when he actually gets, well, he has a dagger also. Again, yeah. I just do think he had a dagger up his Concealed sleeve like a Creed And and you know, again, <laughs> it just proves that he wasn't playing fair. And it's but obviously it all comes back to bite him in the backside because obviously Maximus he he win he wins obviously it's yeah, the satisfying start, it was so satisfying. It was so satisfying. You don't like say you hear the gurgling and everything like that and then he's dead. Yeah.
1: It's like, it's so Jams sad. that dagger into his throat and you hear, you hear all the blood start pouring out, the gurgling. You hear. You probably hear the jugular getting pissed. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. But again, it's not, do you know what? It's not a, it, I don't think it was played for a big death in the fact no. that when they did it, you don't get this kind of
0: big no music again.
1: score. Yes, yeah, so there's no like big da score and it's not um we're not zooming into action. You don't actually see the you don't actually see the dagger go into his neck. What well, you you just see obviously You just hear it. Yeah, you just hear it. And then Maximus is kinda of cradling um not necessarily lovingly, but and it's more <laughs> about their quiet performances in that moment. Yeah. And it's the moment rather than the Oh my god, he's just stabbed him in the neck and that could have been in the lesser director, they could have made it a lot more of that. They could have made it gorier and more bloodthirsty, but Mm -hmm. I think Ridley Scott handled that scene, that particular moment, sorry, really well.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, it gets, you kind of had that feeling of like, that was epic and I'm glad that happened. But then you obviously, again, you're like, oh no.
1: Maximus will be fine now, surely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then obviously that's when I can't, every time, even though I know it's coming, I can't, when I feel, for like the first few watches of this ever, I put on blubbered every time, <laughs> every time. It, my, my, you know, my family would be like, "It's a happy kind of ending because he's going to see his family again." And I'm like, "It's still sad." It he
1: <laughs> dies.
0: But then I still, I always get a lump in my throat all all the time because it's it's you know the music again plays a big role in it, and it's just you know he basically did his job, mm-hmm. even though he didn't give. Well, he no, he did give the order before he died. He did it's this. When, it's when he freed the slaves. Like, freed the slaves and basically give give the um. Power back to the people and things like that. So yeah. you know he actually fulfilled his um, the dying wish of um, the emperor.
1: Yeah, and Lucilla says she says go to them because she can see. Yeah, you because know, obviously before, during the fight as well, there are moments. Sorry, where um, it's probably pertinent to mention that.
0: It's fading Maximus in and out of the fight. Yeah,
1: he's dying. He's he's basically seeing the white lights and the pearly gates. But obviously, he's seeing um, he sees the big gate. You know, the big door, and beyond that, the wheat fields. And he's kind of like he's during it. His hands kind of reaching out as he's staggering, and he's having to kind of be brought back into it. And yeah, during it when when he's given the order, Nat, Lucilla can see basically that he's looking off beyond her. He's he's looking. He's he. She knows he can see his family. She says, you know, go to them.
0: And it's and that's definitely all he needs. it's definitely hard for her. I feel as well because obviously, and we haven't spoken about it, but their relationship obviously before the film's yeah. events, they were they were together yeah. as a young as a young couple and things like that. So that's definitely. I feel for her as well as that because she, I don't know, maybe she thought that w- once they all escaped and stuff, they would probably be nice, you know, be be together and things yeah. like that. So oh, I definitely feel it together, for her.
1: Yeah. It, the and then you get the scene where he's brushing his hand across the wheat fields.
0: Hm. Mm. And that's all. That's such an iconic, I think, scene in the whole film because you see it at the beginning. Yes. And then you see, and then you just see it in multiple little bits with no half,
1: context. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, with no context, but obviously, I feel like. Well, the audience would know because it's just like I don't know, it's just all these little bits of like, at least is it Elysium and things like that? That's mm-hmm. just the afterlife and things like that.
1: Yes, I there's so, uh, something about it, even like the grading and the way just like the color is drained. There's just something beautiful about that shot and that moment. Obviously, there's the there's a the satisfaction in the, the fact that you might you manage to jam that into the knife into Commodus's throat. Then obviously the kind of the bit of sweet sadness that in order to free everybody, he's he's he then dies himself. It's not not mm-hmm. because of that, but because of Commodus's cowardice. But he's not there, he's not able to see the liberation of Rome and the people, but you then get the but then there's the knowledge that he has found peace, he's found what he wanted. He, yeah. he he's there's his wife and his child, and he's 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 free now. So it's kind of like satisfying, bittersweet, sad. Kind of satisfying as well at the end. It's a, it's like a gamut of emotions in that, and we are the I word iconic. It's Ridley Scott has done an awful lot in this film. It's iconic, and that's just one of those scenes as well. It's just handled so beautifully. That scene mm-hmm. with the wheat fields and everything, and it's it, it it's probably instantly recognisable. I think in film,
0: yeah. And then you just you got the you know the scene afterwards, which, which leads obviously to the credits. With his, it, it, he became his like his best friend when he was fighting the gladiators, and that's Juba, obviously played by yeah. is it how is it J- J- Jumon H- Jimon Hunsu? Yeah, and uh, he becomes basically like his best friend. They they were partnered up in like their first arena fights and stuff like that. Yep. And obviously in their quieter moments, they would tell each other about like their families and stuff. Obviously Juba's family was still alive, so obviously that bit was different. But mm-hmm. they could still kind of connect. And because they were both men that had been taken away from their families and things like that. And he, you know, he, I think he sees him with his, like, his little figurines of of, of a woman and a child, which mm-hmm. obviously Maximus sees as his wife and his son. And I think that I really liked that he, he buried those little figurines where he yes. died. And, you know, and, and I, I do like his lines as well, like, I will see you again, but not yet. Yes. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> He
1: always says that. There's there's so so many so many good death smiles at us all. All we can do is smile back. Yeah, it's like lines like that. And and obviously, we mentioned what an arse Commodus is, but when when he goes down into the into the uh, arena early on, and he wants to know who this who this you know warrior who's this gladiator who's this incredible fighter Maximus is thinking I ain't having none of this. I'm tipping sort off. He turns his back on him. Yeah, Commodus is like. (laughs) And who are you? Now, are you going to show yourself, blah, blah? And he says, my name is Gladiator. And then yeah. he says, uh, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. V- 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 Meridius,
0: father to a murdered son. That's it. Husband to a murdered wife.
1: <laughs> and I will have my vengeance, vengeance in this life or the next. And that was yeah. the line he didn't want to say. Actually, I remember now. He, didn't, he did not like that line one bit. What, and that whole monologue vengeance. or
0: just that? Just watch. mainly
1: that bit at the end. He really, Russell Crowe, and I, there's, there's a few things about Russell Crowe in this film, Offset. Which you all know is a bit of a character, shall we say? But yeah, that he really, really, really didn't like that line, apparently. And you know, it's it's funny it that just
0: it just feels more emotional to the scene. I feel because yeah. it's like he's actually face to face, and he's obviously got to hold back his is you know, that his want to to kill him because yeah. obviously if he does, he knows he'll he and all his men will be slaughtered and things like that. Yeah. But he's got to really hold it back, so he's like, "I will have my vengeance at some point."
1: Yeah.
0: And he does. And
1: he was. I don't, I don't know why. He, I mean, I'm not Russell Crowe, but it, it, the line the <laughs> line feels right. Obviously, in watching it, it feels right. But um, who was it? Uh, William Nick, Bill Nicholson, William Nicholson, the guy who wrote the script. Russell Crowe said to him, "You know, your lines are rubbish. You're, <laughs> but I am the greatest actor in the world, and I'm like I can make even crap sound good." Was basically what he yeah. said, and um, yeah. and he said it because he couldn't improv anything better. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there was a few issues of Russell Crowe on on set. You know what he's like. Um, Russell Russell Crowe and Richard Harris became such good friends apparently, but Oliver Reed tried to beat Russell Crowe up. He offered well, he tried to, he challenged him to a fight. Which why
0: why hmm. do I feel like Oliver Reed was very much like his character? Yeah, <laughs> Oliver Reed
1: told uh, Ridley Scott on set, as soon as five o'clock comes, I'm out of here every day. Was, he, <laughs> he was he was a nine to five worker, uh, and God bless the Hellraiser. Whatever he, oh, we probably knew where we went after work straight down to the old um the old pub I imagine, but mm-hmm. um. he he basically said uh, from five o'clock I'm doing my own thing so you know (laughs) love it like it or lump it and Ridley Scott was like well I'm I'm going to lump it I'm going to like it sorry because um you know you're so good in this film but maybe he'd done bugger all before that really Oliver Reed for for years before that so I thought Oliver Reed as Proximo I thought he was really good in this film and it's obviously he he died of a heart attack during filming so they had to abruptly end his character in that um Siege of the Barracks, where yeah. him, Haygood and Cicero were killed. But I thought Oliver Reed was really good. And, you know, it's easy to look off set and think, oh, Russell Crowe's just a loud mouth idiot, or Oliver Reed's just this, you know, bloke who turns up, thinks he's a star, and whatever other problems he had. But in front of the camera, I thought Oliver Reed was great.
0: No, I did as well, and that's what, talking about his death scene and stuff, I I wonder if that's what they, did they actually have that planned from the start trying to kill him off? He was going to live. It? He was going to live. because yep, he
1: was going to be the one to bury the things at the end.
0: Ooh, okay, that would have been. I don't know, but it's kind of, obviously because now we've seen it, we've, like, yeah. I, we're like, I don't know how I would feel and things like exactly. that. But it's, it was his death scene, they, they obviously reused an old shot mm-hmm. of he, he was saying stars and dust. You know, as, that's know, that's, that's what he says to Maximus as he heads out to one of his battles, and they actually just reuse that same shot of but yeah, close up to, close up to his face, and then obviously when the soldiers all come up to stab him in the back and kill him, you can clearly clearly tell it's it's also like a blow up doll mannequin. It's,
1: it's it's a model, isn't it? yeah, It's ridiculous, but yeah, but
0: it's still. But then obviously, you know, f- things happen. Obviously, outside of films, and you have got to do what you can do. They so. did a good
1: job, I think, in actually yeah. because we've spoken about things like um, the rise of Skywalker. With a uh, general layout. Sorry, Carrie Fisher, God rest mm-hmm. her soul too. She's not around to film those scenes, sadly. And, you know, there's been talk about how are JJ and Kathy and Lucasfilm and Disney gonna how they're gonna how they gonna bring her back into the film. You know, they've had they've had two years of which to come up with a solution. The thing, it's a situation,
0: situation I don't wanna wish on anybody, you know. No. Well, obviously it's terrible that it's happened, but it must be so hard for them to try and do right by do right by family members and yeah. friends and then obviously but do enough to still make it make sense
1: you've got to keep the the um not dignity but you've got to keep the integrity of the film as well you have that you've also got to think that the film the project we're working on we have to respect that as well so do we recast and redo the whole thing or do we you know uh finish his story how they did which I think actually they handled it really well to be honest but mm-hmm. it must have been it must have been a bit of a a panic where they must have thought, Jesus, what do we do? Do we like they do we recast Oliver Reed? Do we get somebody else in? Do we do we cut yeah. some of his performance to make him less of a character? I mean... Oh, but he
0: was such a great character. though because yeah. was, he was probably one of the funniest characters in the film as well. It's like his first line in the whole, in the film is obviously some because he's someone who like buys a load of things and he's like, "You sold me queer giraffes." And it's like <laughs> basically, it's his first line. It's hilarious.
1: It's introducing Oliver Reed to the film. Yeah. <laughs> um Oh mate, there's so many. So I mean, anybody out there listening as well? Tell us your favourite scenes. Of course, we want to hear what you have to say as well. But a but a film like this is littered, littered with scenes. And again, there's the battle where the slaves are all chained together, and the guy piddles himself. Um, and then, oh, uh, yeah, and then poor guy's crying, and he ends up getting like screwed like a pig. But the when when I can't remember, I think it's uh, it's Hagen. I think it. I can't remember. The guy, I think it was the
0: big the big German the big guy. dude
1: who's just like. Just taking falls down, effort, and said he's awesome. He was, and obviously Maximus as well. But I love that scene as well because it's it's a smaller but more b- brutal fight yeah. scene in the most horrible conditions.
0: And you feel, I feel fear for them as well. You know, you see him, um, you know, pee himself and things like that, and you just start trying to try to put myself in that. That's how I would that situation. I'd be like, oh, that's probably how I'd be. Just be yeah. like, I could not do that, but. You have to. That's the way it's life for now and things like that. And then you got obviously the poor sod that gets killed the, the minute yeah. the gate opens. Yeah. He gets a he, mace to the face. He
1: had hair like a mace as well, didn't he? Yeah,
0: hair like then, a mace and
1: a mace to the face.
0: But um, and then obviously the first Gladiator gladi- scene we get, where they are where they have the chariots and things like that. That was the music that's probably my favorite scene in in coliseum in terms of big battles and stuff mm-hmm. I, probably, I probably liked that more than the one with the tigers yeah just because the music was so epic and some of the deaths were so gruesome like there was one where i think the chariot was just still going like the wheel had like this spiky thing on the end of it yeah, to yeah. obviously really harm people and stuff like that and obviously one of the chariot riders fell off and what's it do it freaking cuts her in half it's like it's so brutal Ridley Scott
1: didn't hold back, and we know Ridley Scott's done some films before which involve a little bit of gore and chest bursting. Oh God, yes! The, the, <laughs> he really, went. He went for it quite large in this film, to use a Kevin and Perry phrase. And I like that. And they, I like the fact that they didn't show, you know, the kind of typical Roman life of people like wandering around in sandals, supping wine and having grapes fed to them. It's a lot more sort of boots on the ground. Grit. I hate the word gritty, but it's a grittier feel to it. <laughs> and the fight scenes are really good at showing. And moments like that as well. It's like kind of shocking, but at the same time, they're bloody awesome to watch.
0: Yeah. And just speaking of going off on Ridley Scott, I think the only other film I've watched of his is um, Prometheus. Yeah. i I've, oh yeah. I've never seen Alien and things mm-hmm. like that because I'm not really a big horror person. But I went to see Prometheus, which wasn't it wasn't scary per se, but I will admit, on a podcast, I cried halfway during that film because it terrified me of <laughs> <laughs> just like things bursting out of stomachs and stuff. I'm like, and then there was the Alien Covenant, and I'm like, I can't watch it. Yeah,
1: the back. I, I, I cried.
0: I cried at the first one. I'm not going to watch this. I'm not going to survive. Do <laughs> <laughs> you watch Blade Runner? I have seen. I yeah. have, and I found Blade Runner 2049. You know, when you were asking me for favorite food movies and stuff, the yes. sequel to Blade Runner is probably. Like my second favorite movie of all time. It's nice. it's it's such a good movie. Uh, but the first Blade Runner, got um, can't think of his name, but it's the actor who died recently he plays the bad guy in it. Oh, uh, Rutger Hauer. Yeah, Rutger Hauer. Like he, he terrifies me. It's so such a creepy performance. Again, you know, talk about creepy actors and stuff like that. But it's like his ca- he plays such a creepy deviant, and it's uh it's uh, you know how we you know we he actually hurts himself. He I don't know. it's, it's mental. It's a mental yeah. character, but it's so creepy, but it's so good.
1: Another another creepy but good character who's got one of those soliloquies, one of those wonderful um, speeches and quotes in film history. So Ridley Scott's quite, even though he doesn't necessarily write the films, he's synonymous with films with like extremely famous lines. and Obviously, the all those moments that we lost in time, like tears in rain, yeah. scene from Blade Runner. There's so so there's so many just in in Gladiator. Like we've mentioned, things like um, "At my signal, unleash Hill, mm-hmm. Are you not entertained?" Um a deaf smiles at like a soul all a man can do is what, smile back so what is it?
0: there's another word uh, what is it he's he's talking to the soldiers at the beginning, and he's like basically like, Ah, oh, no, it says what we do in life echoes in eternity yes that's so oh.
1: good uh, that and like I say, that's that's right at the beginning It kind of sets the scene and sets the stall for the film you get you get um quotes like that, you get the opening battle. You can tell this is going to be a, a heavy hitting film. Then yeah. you get a score on top of it. I mean, that first that opening sort of twenty minutes basically sets out what we're going to get for the next two and a half hours, and <laughs> it's a magnificent opening. And yeah, that 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 scene, that that line, sorry, is great.
0: And there's a, and then I've just found another one. And it says, you know, he's he's basically giving his big speech to his men before the cavalry charges, and he's like. Um... If you find yourself alone riding in the green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium and you're already dead. It's, yes, it's, ah, it's them are just so good. Oh,
1: I mean, we could probably we could probably go onto IMDb, quote something, and just find an absolute <laughs> shed load of them as well. Um, shadows and Dust. yeah, you mentioned that one already.
0: But it's it's just the way he performs that one though that he yells it. You are already dead. and It's just like oh yeah, that's all it, cheering.
1: <laughs> And Tigris, just before he gets absolutely schooled, with, "We who are about to die, salute you." And They're that's
0: another—that's like... another bit where he's basically um being disrespectful to the emperor because he yeah. before every fight that's what they always say. "We who are about to die, salute you," and he just does not say anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, and everybody starts laughing at the way he says it. As well, but yeah, like, oh, nothing happens to anyone that is not fitted by nature to bear. It's just a very well written film, I think. <laughs> and should we um? Talk a little bit about that score because it's Ooh, in yeah. my head. It's one of the most, it's one of the most, uh, one of the best selling uh, film scores of all time. And I'm not surprised.
0: It's it's so good. And there's that one at the very end. Um, I think it's, I think it's in the, on the soundtrack. It's called Now We Are Free. And it's mm-hmm. got, yeah, you yeah. know, the, the woman singing in, you know, in the oh, background, right. it's got a choir and everything. It just sounds, and that and that piece of music in particular, I swear I hear it every now and again on like TV. That it's sometimes, like, some bits of music from this film are so iconic and so powerful and good that they, they're used on just other programs. Especially, like, the battle music from the first battle at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I would be such surprised
1: if they did. Like, the songs like Honor Him, Elysium, yeah. The Wheat as well, right at the end. I oh, am I not merciful? It's just... What Hans Zimmer's done with this is... The, the, the score, the whole thing... Is fantastic, and I like Hans Zimmer an awful lot as a as a as a composer. He's, you know, if I was going to drop a top ten, of course he's going to be in there. If I'm going to drop a top five, high chance that he's going to be in that top five. In fact, it's probably nailed on that he's going to be. And it's for and it's for and it's for scores like this where you get some scores which are big and bombastic and have um, or have like that kind of a like John Williams kind of signature feel where there's like yeah. a, a very accessible kind of sound to it. Ones like this. It's just pure power to me, mm-hmm. and um, pure emotion. Yes, it's accessible, and there are you know there are ones where you can listen to it and think, "Wow, I can get that stuck in my head." But the emotion that pours out of this score is is mind blowing, and it's one of it's. I can see why so many people bought it because it's one of the best overall film scores of all time in terms of just it put stick it on, listen to the whole thing. It's outstanding.
0: Yeah, because when I do, um, like, I need to take notes for anything or do any type of work on a computer mm-hmm. or anything like that, just just the way I am, I can't have music with lyrics because I'll get distracted and start it will... thinking about I, the words, yeah. Yeah, and I need, so I need instrumental music and there's always stuff like Disney scores in there, there's always Star Wars <laughs> in there, and there's, but there's all... But Gladiator is a very big one that I always love to listen to because it is a lot of it. Obviously, ones that aren't battle-themed, mm-hmm. they're all actually quite soothing and quite, yeah, you know... Yeah. Um, the honouring one, even not even watching the film, gets me a tad emotional. Not crying, I don't cry as I like walk down the street listening to it. I <laughs> think we can hear
1: you welling up now.
0: <laughs> but uh, no, it just always, I always just picture that scene in my head yes. every time I listen to that piece of that particular piece of music. It didn't even win best
1: score either. Um, it was Crouching Target, Hidden Dragon that year. And now listen, it? An Ang Lee, great film. I enjoyed it an awful lot. You know, I feel a bit like Kanye West interrupting Taylor Swift here. But, you know, <laughs> this is this this should have been Hans Zimmer's year for. I mean that uh, the Crouching Tiger, and Dragon score is
0: Hans Zimmer should have won that Grammy. He that should he
1: have can. taken that Grammy. He should have gone up and taken it off of that. But <laughs> the Crouching Tiger score is majestic, but it's not. I, I honestly do think that this score was was one of the best film score modern film scores there is in the last. The, well, this film came out in two thousand, so it classes as this millennium. It's one of the best Actually, film scores of the millennium,
0: it's 20 years old next
1: year. Yeah, it is. Exactly. It's gonna be 20 years old, it's not a teenager no more. Like, I would I think... love
0: for them to put that back into cinema because I would love to watch it in the cinema. Because obviously, the first time I watched it was on DVD. I, I think would they will love do. to watch it in the cinema. There's a, there's a kind of trend now, isn't there, of putting films out for
1: anniversaries and stuff like that. It with the Matrix, um, not too long ago. I think, I think they will do 20 years of gladiator because it won best picture, so it's got mm-hmm. that going for it. Put the uh, one of the only kind of what 75 uh, one of the only sort of 80, 90 films that have ever won the best picture of all time mm-hmm. put, that, put it back on a big screen for, an, for a weekend it, it, it it's, money it, exactly it has the best actor in it of the year Russell Crowe also won for best costume design best sound and visual effect as well so it's you know it, it won five Academy Awards it's a film that is classic for uh, its performances for its uh, some of its scenes the score and the quotes so it's not like people are going to be like Gladiator. What the was that? Yeah. There'll be a there would be a I think it would do pretty damn well for a kind of a limited run a week yeah. somewhere, I think. Especially or I mean in I don't know if they do it in every cinema. I mean obviously London would have it in probably Birmingham and Manchester. My local but...
0: cinemas probably don't they don't do that really. The only thing I think they do is they do like an outdoor cinema type thing in the summer and yeah, summer yeah. I think I think they've had an Indiana Jones movie there. They've put, like, Grease on. But that's about it. Like, they don't do really any big themed things around it, disappointingly.
1: That's Do you have any... Have you, have you only got the big multiplexes, or do you have any um, kind of indie, independence in the I guess
0: Cineworld Cine is the closest one.
1: Yep, yeah, I think that's what I'm signed up for, Cineworld. Yeah, but, it is the unlimited job, yeah.
0: But going back to music, just briefly going on to Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, go then, for it. Because we have to. Um, obviously, John Williams, it's his last... um, <sighs> You know, it's his last um score. Star Wars score. It's his last Star Wars
1: score. score. I mean, now, and, I'm starting to well up now.
0: And that's what, I was, <laughs> that's what I said. If I would recommend anybody, I'd like maybe Hans Zimmer. Give him a go. See what he could do with Star Wars. It's ah. I don't know. I, I mean, Why not? I mean, talent
1: talent rises to the top. I mean, Hans Zimmer has shown with his like, eclectic range of films that I think he could do. He could do a Star Wars film. Why not? There's the, Star, obviously, Star Wars has that identity now. The music has that. It kind of felt when Michael Giacchino did Rogue One. The first thing people were saying was, "Does it feel Star Warsy enough?" Uh, same with John Powell with Solo. does it feel Star Warsy enough? And there's going to have to be a time when you you kind of have to redefine. Yeah, move what on Star and do Wars-y slightly different is. things. Yeah, because he's done uh Gladiator. He's also done The Lion King. Did The Lion did King, which is Dark... another brilliant soundtrack. Yeah, The Dark Knight, In the Stella, Dunkirk. I mean, I won't call Dunkirk a soundtrack necessarily, but Pirates of the Caribbean, uh Blade Runner 2049, Batman, Superman, Crimson Tide, you know, different types of films. Um The, the Amazing Spider-Man 2, let's let's all try and forget that. But um, <laughs> he's done plenty of different types, not just, you know, big brooding epics. You know, he's the spirit stallion of the Assyrian as well. So there's so many films he could do. I don't see why not. I don't mm-hmm. see why not. Um it would certainly be a a selling point for any potential new film coming up. Why not have Kevin Feige's film scored by Hans Zimmer? Just imagine yeah. that.
0: Big Even name though he's music. more of a
1: DC man, but Yeah. <laughs> no, but um I yeah, I I don't see why not. I think he's listen, Hans Zimmer, he doesn't answer to nobody. A bit like the Return of the King, you know, you bow to nobody. Mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer <laughs> doesn't have to he doesn't have to, you know, sell himself. I he's the kind of person that he will elevate anything he's on, I think. I genuinely think that as well. So I'd like to see Hans Zimmer, see what he could do with a Star Wars film. Especially, I mean, imagine, uh, listen, I loved Michael Giacchino's Rogue One score. I, I really, 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 really like that score.
0: I do like, It's got one of my favourite pieces of Star Wars music of all time, which is the, um, the whole s- musical suite when, like, basically um, they're trying to get off Scarif, but they oh, find your, out they can't. Oh, your father
1: would be proud. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. But a film like Rogue One with a tone, and I know we're deviating slightly, but the tone of that film, would Hans Zimmer have be been able to have a bit of fun with that, do you think? Because it's a... And I've just said he doesn't do these glo- gloomy, broody epics, not, but... Probably not,
0: because it is, it is, it's definitely, if you put all Star Wars movies together, it's probably the most serious one of all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got a lot more serious tone. Not all, all the heroes die. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoiler, yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, Everyone's yeah. dead.
0: Yeah, everyone. Everybody dies. The hero doesn't make it out. So it's definitely tonally different than yeah. all the other films.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think what he what he could have worked on. Uh, that's already out there. But yeah, that's a good shout. Why not? Why not? Because uh, he's he's a uh, he's got an academy. He's you know he's an academy award winning director. I do believe he should have had more. He won it for the Lion King. I do think he should have had more, especially with Gladiator, Mm -hmm. but no, I'd love to see Hans Zimmer do a Star Wars, do a Star War. Um, (laughs) So if you're listening, Hans, go and do a Star War, please. Um, uh, visually, visually, uh, we mentioned it won visual effects as well and and the costume design. oh the costume design was magnificent. Visual effects, what did you think about them in this film? Because it won visual effects for that year.
0: Hmm, I'm trying to think of visual effects, and I'm trying to think. I can't. There was, there's obviously stuff in the battles and things like that that. Mm -hmm they need to use visual effects for to make it work. I, I want to say maybe the tigers, are they all?
1: I believe the tigers, were real. All, they were real, all but real? they were not, all, but sometimes they were, um, you know, added into added the scene. In. But, they, but there were scenes where they were there.
0: Because that's the thing I'm thinking of visual effects and I can't think of many that popped to my probably. mind. But that's, yeah, it's probably a good thing. And yeah. I'm going to assume it's probably the stuff, maybe like some of the fire and explosions and stuff like that. I think some of should, the big shots
1: of Rome were visual effects, like the right, background, the, the Colosseum and stuff. Yeah. yeah,
0: but um, but yeah, most of it doesn't come to mind, which I guess yeah, it's a good thing because I don't notice it. Yeah, it's not like it's Phantom Menace where it's just shoved in your face.
1: Oh yeah, oh <laughs> 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 Jar, I didn't turn up and start saying we're free. and which yeah. bonce <laughs> locked off by Maximus. Yeah, I thought it looked great Malta doubles for Rome, and I've been to Malta and it does hold that sort of ancient historical vibe um especially places like the silent city of Mdina, just has that kind of otherworldly ancient historical vibe to it. anyone has been to malta and been to um Mdina, the silent city you'll know what exactly what i mean it literally is like a it's like a historical hub kind of preserved preserved on this sort of it overlooks the area that it's in yeah. beautiful and um it, malta dust ha- looks like it's hasn't moved I don't mean this in a derogatory way but some most parts of it does, don't look like they've moved on Games of Thrones Games? Game of Thrones shot a lot in Malta and a few other um, historical films shot in Malta because it ha- it's, it's just kept that, that that ancient look to it like the, the walled cities and like the yellow um, the yellow stone that's it everything about it just looks of its time and beautiful country I will say that but um, it's a damn good fine place to shoot a film and but um, I haven't been to Rome, so I'd like to go to Rome. So do, um, when you're watching Gladiator now, you've been to Rome, you've been there. Do, firstly, before I go any further, do you like tiramisu? Uh, I don't know
0: who that is.
1: Okay, tiramisu is an Italian dessert, thankfully. Oh, okay. Um, it's my favourite <laughs> Italian dessert. So had you said no, we would have ended this call very quickly, but I'll let you <laughs> off. Um, so you, now you watch you watch Gladiator now. Does it scream of Rome too? Does it have, does it, does it have the aesthetic of Rome from somebody who's been there? Or is it too? Like, is it set too far back to notice?
0: Um, no, I would definitely say it's set like that. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely it just screams Rome, and you know even though the Colosseum, when you know it's, the 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 scenes I actually feel at like the most isn't in the Colosseum. It's probably outside of Rome when he's probably yeah. in the countryside and stuff, and you know when he's up, you know, is is that little sequence of him traveling back on horseback to find his family and things mm-hmm. like that. And then it's also when they first enter Rome for the first time, and you know they they're seeing like this big. Big statues, and then they walk up to the Colosseum, and they see this huge Colosseum, you know, building. That obviously, yeah, as you said, was built by man. And I can't, again, it's mind blowing. But, um, but yeah, definitely, it screams Rome, and the costumes, the the costume designs, and everything, and the props, and everything like that. it, It all screams Rome. It's definitely not a film. I feel like. Because I think other people, because I do know people that don't like Gladiator, because they mm-hmm. say it's too long and and things like, which I can kind of get, because it is a long film. But um, but some of some of them say it's very Hollywoodized. You know, when you see a war movie, like just a war movie I watched in recent years was um, Fury with Brad Pitt. Yes. And I and I liked it. It was probably well, the I first like proper war movie I watched. But I know it's like compared that to Saving Private Ryan, it's definitely more Hollywoodized and yeah. very. Flashy, where it's not as grounded and gritty as mm-hmm. like Saving Private, Ryan, Saving Private Ryan was. So some people have said, like, like they, they think it's too Hollywoodized and glamorous, and and not as down to earth with its historical accuracy, or historicalness. Whereas, I I I don't agree with that. I, I do Obviously, each to their own. But I definitely, um, it it's def, It scream it screams Rome. It's not too fan fan fantastical or glamorous yeah. for me. It's, it's this, you know, the beginning battle was very, very, as you said, boots on the ground and very gritty and things like that. So,
1: I think it. I mean, yes, it flouts historical accuracy, but name me one film which is shot for shot, beat for beat, absolutely accurate historically, and I'll mm-hmm. sit here for, uh, I'll sit for another hour or two and can somebody just name me one? There are films which are extremely, extremely close to home very very close to what really happened but a lot of the time not everybody knows what happens because you know people might be know. dead or it was set in ancient rome we don't know but we know that it did flout the rules somewhat but you know they, they you know ridley scott didn't go, go out to make a historical biopic of anyone right. alive it wasn't a film about caesar or about marcus aurelius or about hercules or something like that maximus decimus uh he was he's a made-up character so you can do whatever you want of him and they incorporated real elements like uh, Commodus and uh, Max Aurelius, and they incorporated them into the story. Quentin Tarantino does that all the time with his films. He takes um, well-known events. Like, I mean, look at Inglorious Bastards. Look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he twists them, bastardises them into what he wants. So the the familiarity is there, but it's not quite what we know. It's nothing different to Gladiator. You know, it, there's it, there is a familiar feeling to it, even if it isn't. You know, nailed on what it, what happened in real life. It doesn't need to be. And in terms of it being Hollywood Hollywoodized, I do you know, I mean? I'm not sure it is because it's a no. film that's like two hours fifty minutes long. Now, in recent years, films are longer. And I mean, in in two thousand, I mean, we still had a long film. Braveheart's a long film. Titanic was bloody long. Mm-hmm. But you know, and that was more of a Hollywood film. But I don't think. A film that's two hours fifty minutes long,
0: like a film that so, deals
1: with this kind of stuff, can be called Hollywoodized. A
0: film that's I similar, get
1: some parts are
0: a film that's similar to Gladiator is obviously I haven't seen it, but Three Hundred. Whereas yeah, yeah. I would probably say just from bits I've seen. Just for my personal opinion of what I've seen 'cause I have because i have not seen it, so I can't speak for the whole movie, mm-hmm. but um that looks Hollywoodized.
1: Well it is, even just from the visual aesthetic, and that's yeah. got some brilliant lines and it's a good film as well, actually. But it is just just the way it's presented is Hollywoodised. And I think Gladiator strives for accuracy whilst also knowing full well that it isn't historically accurate. I think it tries as hard as to be true to itself whilst knowing that, you know, we are taking liberties here. So I don't I wouldn't call it a Hollywoodized film because I think they could have gone a lot more kind of Troy or Hercules if they wanted to go, which, and they are Hollywood um, swords and sandals type films.
0: As we say, like some scenes didn't have music in and things like that. And I feel like if like the the final battle with Commodus, if it had like like really epic music in it, I think it would have just, it would have still made it, it would have been still, I think good, but it just wouldn't have made it, I think as powerful as it was. It would have
1: been slow motion. You would have had even more reaction shots from people in the crowd and from Lucilla and that. And, you would have seen um, Lucius jump up and grab his face. No, and yes. it would have been all kind of big and really bombastic,
0: cheesy, and
1: yeah, like some weird montage of people's faces going <gasps>
0: yeah. in slow motion.
1: <laughs> it would have been like something that Family Guy would have pulled off. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I, so again, each to their own. One of the things about this show, and I always try to. Um, put out there is everybody's opinion is their own and I absolutely have no issue with anyone's opinion, even the ones which are wrong. I'm not saying your mate's yeah. ones are, but <laughs> there are some out there which, you know, you think, come on, mate, come on. Um but no, each to their own. I don't necessarily agree, but No, I, can I don't see I why don't people would say that. that. But on, on the on the discussion of what he didn't like, was there anything mm. about this which not even that he didn't like, but he thought, you know, that wasn't that wasn't quite as good as other things or I, that You know, that I could have taken it out and it wouldn't have made a difference or anything. I there anything you didn't really, you know, like?
0: Um, I don't think there's actually anything I actually just dislike, like take it out and it will make yeah, the film better I or anything. Like, yeah. I think I liked near enough all of it. There's bits I didn't like because they made me squeamish. <laughs> like the, what are the... But there's so many, you know, as I said, the guy getting stabbed in the foot and the things like that. And then, but there's the one that obviously, I am a woman, I don't have these things, but I still felt... <laughs> the pain when this guy got impaled uh, in the pleavits. Yes, <laughs> in the, the madgers. Yeah. Oh, there's so many kills oh. and stuff like that that just make you cringe and things like that. I'm like, they still cool to see, but I'm like, I don't like them. <laughs>
1: yeah. If you could just take that out next time, Ridley, that would be great. Yeah. In the theatrical shot, we'll have, we'll have, a, we'll have a Katie cut. Yeah. Uh, hasn't got, like, people's gonads being sliced but or any anything squeamish I'm bits.
0: Being more serious, there's nothing probably... <laughs> yeah, I probably, I probably, I'd like to say I like it all. I think it's... That's fair enough. But there's some scenes that probably aren't necessarily needed, but, um, but I'm like, although there's some scenes as... Well, as I said, I watched the extended edition. I'm like some scenes were more elongated, and I'm like, okay, they could have cut that mm-hmm. off a bit quicker. But it's nothing like I would have thought. Like I actually hate this scene. Take it out because it'll make the film better.
1: So yeah. that's good, really. Yeah, it's yes, fair enough. There are there. everybody has films like that, and I know how much you would adore this film. I don't think there is was either. I mean, are the pacing? Are some parts of it a tad, a tad too slow, and meandering? Maybe, maybe a minute or two here and there. But I can't think of anything outright which I thought. Do you know what? I wish that wasn't in there or that performance wasn't great or I wish they hadn't said that or that visual effect wasn't great. You can some of the visual effects of Rome when when it's green screen in the background, you can notice it, but I mean for its time it was, was it better than some of the films that came out. Yes. It did it he won the visual effects for a reason based on when it came out and I think it holds up to this day and like you say the proof would be on the big screen one more time with um, knowledge of how film was advanced in 19 years. Could we watch on the big screen and still just be so engrossed by it that we don't even notice that some of the effects may have aged? But other I don't think they have I to be honest,
0: I'm just trying, I'm just imagining all the big scenes we've spoken about on the big screen. It just makes me salivate at the idea. <laughs> yeah, I
1: know. I mean, I guess if you want to be really pedantic, I mean, Maximus has a tiger on his back, sort of gnawing and slashing away at him. And you'd think, I'm sure the tiger would have just jumped at him and overpowered him. Yeah. But it would have also been a very short film.
0: I'm trying to. <laughs> How did they do that? Actually, did they just throw like a big stuffed animal on the back of him, or did they just basically film Russell Crowe and then put film the tiger? I love the like...
1: idea of it as being a toy tiger. I don't know actually. I guess because <laughs> guess...
0: it looks real. That's what I'm saying. It does look real. Because it's, it's, it's very snappy shots. A bloke shot. on his back. It's very snappy shots though. Like, yeah. So it's not long, so it makes me think maybe it's not a real tiger. Or I
1: believe that they were the VFX tigers, and I guess they probably had a they maybe they had a guy on Russell Crowe's back just so they could get like the weight distribution. Yeah. So obviously, when a guy may have, I don't, I don't know this. So if anyone's listening, please let me know or let us know. But in my head, like somebody jumped to him, kind of like it be for a piggyback. So you have Russell Crowe kind of lurching forward, um, and that would be their. Um, that would be their kind of cue of when to insert the tiger in that But
0: When you um, started that, I thought you were going to say someone dressed in a big tiger costume. <laughs> I would love
1: like. it if he just if it was literally a bloke dressed up as a tiger, like, great, jumped in his back. And it's like, you didn't, didn't need to dress up as a tiger. It's like, well, if and Phoenix can go full method, so can I. I am Tiger Man <laughs> in this film. So um, I don't know, actually. Yeah, interesting. If anyone knows, let us know. But that's a good point, actually. But yeah, that I mean that obviously wasn't a real tiger, but there were real tigers in that scene with Russell mm-hmm. Crowe and um, Tigris. Uh, but yeah, I guess if you really want to be pedantic, that tiger would have just beaten his head off. But then if you want to get to that kind of level of silliness, every single film has those issues. Every single film has a moment you think, sod off. That doesn't make sense. It's, yeah. it's,
0: you know, it's not believable.
1: And that's why it's a film, because yeah. it, it's escapism. It's, it's, dropping, yeah, it's dropping that kind of silliness and just watching it for what it is. So I can't think of anything really that I disliked. At all, which I mean, the hope and anyone listening to retrospectives, you'd have heard the first two episodes, *The Exorcist* three and *Zodiac*. You'd have known that I and my guests pretty much did something similar. Though I think we may have found a few things in some of them. Like *The Exorcist* three, found a couple of things, minor things. But because we, the whole point of these is we don't want we don't want to sound too gushing, even though we just spent the last hour and twenty minutes absolutely frothing about this film. <laughs> there is kind of that idea that you want to, if there is something, we want to kind of be as objective as possible. But sometimes. That you you can't be, and I'm loath to say any film's a perfect film. Gladiator, it still to me isn't a perfect film per se. No, as you said, but it's a bloody good film.
0: There's some bits that you know could have maybe been a little tad shorter, so you know, because the pacing slows down a bit. But yeah, but it's it's small things. It's very nitpicky. So yeah,
1: nothing that ruined the film or took me out of it, or I thought during it. Do you know what? I wish that that was two minutes and thirty-two seconds longer because it really would have elevated my (laughs) enjoyment. So, yeah, I mean, a um, couple of cool facts I found out before. The dog, Maximus' pet wolf. Uh, anybody out there who watches EastEnders would recognise that. That's Wellard, the dog, Is it who really? plays that pet wolf. That's Wellard.
0: I mean, I did watch EastEnders, I think, for a little bit, and then I, I haven't watched it in years now, but I, and I, did, but I did watch it around time when that dog was in it, and that's the dog at the beginning of the film.
1: That's Wellard. That's, that's... Maximus' pet wolf. Um, oh, the that's... dog's called Kite. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I only found that out today. It goes,
0: goes from Gladiator to EastEnders.
1: <laughs> exactly, it goes from Gladiator to Albert Square, Wolfwood. If anyone out there is thinking, what the bloody hell are we going to is EastEnders is a, is a uh, British soap. It's an institution. It's been running since 1985. What a great year for the world when I was born. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's been running. It's basically set in, in, in London. And it's about the EastEnders, the Cockneys, basically. And it's... Everything is gloomy and miserable. It's so proper; everything goes wrong at the candy. You never
0: want to live there. They say that.
1: <laughs> you never want to live there. You never want to spend Christmas there. Bloody hell! But yeah, Wellard was a dog, obviously in the in the uh, soap opera, and he was played by yeah Russell Crowe's dog, that's... yeah on-screen dog. <laughs> oh,
0: that's that's um... Really, that's a cool little fact, actually.
1: <laughs> and another one we mentioned that the actors were quite hard on set. Oliver Reed was basically like, "Once five o'clock comes, I'm getting pissed." Uh, Russell Crowe <laughs> was was tearing up the script. He rewrote a lot of his lines and was quite, in true Russell Crowe style, was quite abrupt and brash and aggressive about it behind the scenes. Richard Harris basically, when when scenes were being rewritten, because you know, which is nothing new. Every film on set, scenes are rewritten on set for every film. You know director or the screen might might think that doesn't work. Let's rewrite that. Richard Harris just wouldn't bother. because he literally he couldn't be bothered to learn the lines again. To relearn <laughs> so new lines. So he just did what he wanted basically. <laughs> so you've got Oliver Reed and Richard Harris who are in their heyday were pretty probably Britain's two most hell raising actors of them all. Richard Harris was an absolute mad case in the night nice, I mean just like in a just like the kind of bad boy of like that of like the sixties and seventies Oliver Reed, we all know what Oliver Reed was all about. Having them together in the same film, Ridley Scott must have balls of steel. And then Russell Crowe on top of that, Jesus. But he made it work. Mm -hmm. He got great performances out of all of them. And as an ensemble, I thought they were so good. And then, of course, Wacken Phoenix as well. He managed to rein in what could have been a performance that could have been over the top. Wacken Phoenix was a method actor, similar to like Jared Leto.
0: Jared Leto, yeah. If
1: you go too much... If you go too far into a method and too far into it, it can be over the top. It can be, um, it can be uh, what's the word? Disruptive and just uh, what's the word when you can't take things seriously? Uh, it will come to me in a minute. But you know, noticeably off-putting. I can't think of a wonderful, of of a better word. Yeah, it can become off-putting. But I think you know, Whack and Phoenix was reined in enough to the point where I think it's Performance was magnificent. And there were times on set where he tried to become very method. He came in to work a bit tubbier, shall we say, than normal. And Redley Scott's like, well, uh, you know, what you're you're fat, basically. And he's like, Well, I'm the I'm the I'm the Emperor of Rome. Surely I would be eating and living well. Um and he they were like, No, lose the weight now. So he kind of he took the character and he put himself into the mindset, like if I was the king of the emperor, I would be eating well. I wouldn't be I I wouldn't be um, this uh, waif-gaunt chap. Um, so in one way, that's great that a character actor would take so much love into his character, but in another way, yeah, Ridley Scott's just like looser timber, mate. <laughs> so.
0: And then I just, and then obviously, I, keep, I can't keep forgetting to say it. Uh, J- Jimon Hunsu. I stuck
1: with as well. Sorry, Jimon
0: I um, um, only know him from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's um, yeah, the guy you know Chris Pratt's like I'm Stalin. he's like <laughs> yeah. that's that guy <laughs> that's the only film I think I've seen him in he was in Captain Marvel I believe as well as, as the same character he's been, character. In, so
1: many, yeah. he's been in, in, in so many films and actually um, there's, this film's got a quartet of characters who've been in DC movies Russell Crowe was Jor-El in uh, Man of Steel, which is Superman's governor, Superman's dad, Connie Nielsen was uh, Queen Hippolyta from Wonder Woman. Ah, uh, okay. Jim Henson okay. Hunsu was in Shazam, who he was actually Shazam, the wizard. Michael Phoenix was, of course, Joker. yeah, and Jim Henson Hussu was also an Aquaman as well. Um, so Jim Henson Sue is basically in every single film ever made. If you, <laughs> if you look at his uh, filmography, it's ridiculous. He's literally in everything. It's he's a great. I think he's a, fa- a fabulous actor as well. But yeah. His credits, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, this Blood Diamond, Furious Seven, Amistad. Of course, he was an Amistad. He was fantastic. In Amistad, Constantine, King Arthur, which was crap recently. Oh,
0: was that the one with um, Charlie Hoonham? Yes, a...
1: and uh, Jude Law. It was a bit plop. Uh, the Island, A <laughs> King's Man coming out next year, A Quiet Place Part Two. Obviously, a horror film. Probably shouldn't mention that to uh, to you. Uh, mm-hmm. like, Too maybe so many films, uh, and like say Gardens of the Galaxy, that it's just kind of. Testament to the man that he can pop up and be so good in all of these films, but nobody can pronounce his name. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad it's not just me. So I guess to kind of kind of end this chat, for, um firstly, last firstly, lastly, before we get into anything else, if I ha- if you had to name now your your number one scene, the most iconic scene, the one that flashes into your bonds when you think about Gladiator, what what is it? What would it be for you?
0: It's all probably moments. it's probably Coverdus screaming, Am I not merciful to his sister?
1: Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. My mine would be Are you not entertained, I think, just because it's been it's just out there now in the Zeitgeist in the pop culture of everybody knows, it, you know, uh, Maximus, arms outstretched, Are you not entertained? Um and I guess the last thing to ask is do you think Gladiator has, has left any leg what is the legacy of this film or does it even have one?
0: Um, I think um his- historical film. You know i don't mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think if there were any films before it that were like just just as good with like the historical setting and stuff like that, so I feel like that's the market's left in terms of like historical films, not mm-hmm. historical biopics or even yeah, you yeah. know what I mean it's, I feel like that's probably the legacy it's left is probably one of the best films of all time within that within that sub um, genre of yeah. historical film no i mean and, de- and definitely one of the best films I think probably that maybe depicts Rome. Back in its glory
1: days, mm-hmm. as well. Um, no, yeah, I think you're right. There's, there were films before it which were, you know, I, I really think like Ben Hur. Ben Hur, obviously, that is one. That's one of the most iconic. That I word again, films, that like historical film like that. Um, and then you've got uh, you got other ones. who think like, ah, oh, come that one in Michael Douglas. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't Michael Douglas. It was Kirk Douglas. What an idiot. Um, Spartacus. <laughs> So you got Fury, yeah, Spartacus, and films like that. So there were there were movies beforehand which were which how which are all about ancient Rome. It's Lawrence of Arabia wasn't ancient Rome, but it was still a film similar looking. But yeah, this kind of reinvented it. We mentioned some of the films that came out since which are similar and also directed by Ridley Scott, but then just not as good as this. So yeah. and like you said, it for, for personally for you, it sparked something inside you, which made you think. Yeah. I love this. I love this time, and I want to know more. So there's a personal legacy.
0: That's been one of my favourite. I think. Well, I like to say ancient Roman, ancient Greece, because as I said, they're quite similar. But um, one of my favourite games of all time, and it is a very, it's a very, 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 very underrated game. It's called Rise of the Argonauts, and it's basically mm-hmm. about the tale of Jason and the Argonauts, and his, and his quest yes. to find the golden fleece. That's basically. So it's basically a video game of that mythical tale. But I love it so much because it's just so, it's so you know, which is Screams like like ancient Greece or ancient mm-hmm. Rome. The vibes of it, with the combat and just the story and all the lore behind certain characters. Because one of your companions in the game is Hercules, and and it's um you you play as Jason and things like that. So Sweet. you go to you go to see the Oracle, Delphi, and things like that. So things like that I just love. I'm, and it's now you know if I could go back and change what I learned in school because I you know at some point in our in our country you can get rid of certain subjects in yes. school, and I got rid of history. And oh. I really, really regret that because geog- I did geography instead. I did I did geography yep. instead, and I really regret that because geography, you know, you learn about erosion and nothing like compared yeah, to what yes, I love about like history. Sandstone. Now I'm like, I'm like, why did I do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, you never learn about the good oh. stuff. Yeah, you learn, yeah, you learn about how the earth eroding and stuff like that, and it's so limestone, wild. sandstone, and all that kind of well, that kind of guff. We want oh, no. yeah, to, yeah, history get learn about the good stuff. Um, I did actually do history, I think, and I forgot. I think we did like World War Two, actually, but um, which is still a cool thing to learn. But I'm looking. I'm in my front room. I'm sitting here in um in session central where we do the podcast, where I do it anyway. And to my right, I've got a big old book. It's a three tome. It's uh, Ancient Rome, Ancient Greece, and Ancient Egypt, and it's fantastic. Uh-huh, I, and I love I love all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't. I I, I it's like a coffee table kind of book. We kind of sit there and flick through it and um, read all about it. But I I I too really like this particular period yeah. of time, My but fav- I haven't been to Rome though, so I haven't I haven't experienced it, man.
0: My favourite Assassin's Creed game is Assassin's Creed 2, which is set in Rome. Yeah. It's, it's so good. <laughs>
1: Funny that, yeah. Do you, uh, do, so do you often go out in Stevenage uh, or Hertfordshire, sorry, dressed up as Maximus?
0: Alas, wow. <laughs> uh, I do not. I think yeah. the closest the closest piece of attire I think I have is probably like a um it's a shirt I actually bought in Rome was um it's almost like the Starbucks logo, but it's like a Roman helmet.
1: <laughs> Sweet. So you so you're f you're a fake fan basically, hashtag fake yeah. fan. You're not a fan until you go out dressed up as a Maximus in in Hertfordshire. So um yeah, so I mean Legacy, there's a lot of films that have come since which have tried to ape Gladiator, if you will, like things like even things like Pompeii, which I think are a bit, uh, yeah. bombed. Yeah, which was I think it really, really cack, bombed. Yeah. Even though,
0: it, even though it had someone like Kit Harrington yeah. in it, who was really good in uh, in, in Jon Snow in mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, um, but yeah, apparently that bombed.
1: It was yeah. Oh, well, I almost swore then, for lack of a better word, it was ass. Um But at the end of that, it was like Centurion with um, Michael Fassbender, I believe who has just gone on an absolute rampage of doing absolute shite films. Um, <laughs> but there's
0: um, there's a, with, the TV show with Mark Hamill in it, by the way, so I might, might get oh, your interest. Night, um, Nightfall.
1: Yeah, I've seen the clips in a minute.
0: Like the Night Templars and stuff like that. So again, it's very historical. It's not Rome, but it's historical, so it definitely gets my interest. And I think I've watched like the first few episodes of season one, mm-hmm. and then I stopped, not because it was bad, but because I guess I just too busy at the time and just forgot yeah. about it but i want to go back and watch it especially now because mark hamill's in it
1: yeah think mark so. hamill's in rocks and actually to be uh oliver reed at times looks like mark hamill does now in yeah. in that film it's what, what i noticed when i watched it this week i was like i can't get that out of my head that at some point you look like mark hamill in that but um yeah there's, there's been there's been plenty of films out with like exodus gods and kings which uh, is another ridley scott film but Uh, Again, it just doesn't match up to Matt Gladiator. In fact, I think Exodus, Gods and King was actually cack. And in fact, it's got Joel Edgerton, Christian Bale in it, and somehow they managed to make it not very good. Uh, Gold Shifter Farah Harney's in it, who was so good at Patterson with Adam Driver. Bad film. Uh, Not Patterson, Patterson's wicked. Exodus, Gods and King, plop. Um, I think even they got Noah as well, which was done by the guy who did uh, Mother Darren Aronofsky. Uh, That's kind of another historical film set way back when that was okay. But. Gladiator, I think, stands on its own in terms of modern historical epic. Certainly, set from that kind of time period, and the Academy agreed as well with five. I think it should have won more, and I think it should have won Best Score. I think Hans Zimmer was Mm -hmm. robbed.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I know that after this, I am going to, I am absolutely going to listen to the Gladiator soundtrack uh, (laughs) upon finishing this podcast. And I think I am going to because it's one of those ones like you say. At times, it's almost easy listening. I think,
0: yeah. I mean, you could put the ending music in at the end of this episode. If,
1: ooh, you, if I you can. Do that. Ooh, I, well, I'm going to. I'm going to find a way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Old, uh, okay, old Stubbsy's come on and give us an idea. I like it. We'll do that then. So, okay. Well, that was The Legacy. That was Gladiator. I think it's well established that we quite like this film. So, is this. So, just to reiterate, Star Wars aside, Gladiator, where, where does it rank for you?
0: It is at the top. It's at the very, very one. top number it's, one it's I number always one. always have my favourite film of all time in brackets besides Star Wars <laughs> yeah, yeah. is Gladiator
1: and I know it's a silly question to ask but hell I'm a silly person what would it take to knock Gladiator off the number one spot what what kind of film would it take to, to do that would it take a, a similar film or
0: probably I would say probably a similar film I mean Blade Runner 2049 came very close because mm-hmm. it's a very very long film but I went and watched that at least four times in the cinema because I loved hell. it that much so wow. so it you know, but I think if Gladiator if I was a like old enough to go to the cinema at the time Gladiator was done, because 'cause I'm trying to think how old I was, I was born in nineteen ninety four, so that's two thousand. So, so I would have probably been six or seven. So yeah, I wouldn't have been old enough to go and watch, I'd be terrified. But if I was, It'd I would have probably though. done and would have done that with Gladiator. I would have probably watched that probably millions of times in the cinema if I could. Okay.
1: So, that's uh, that is interesting. And and again, it's just like Return of the King. It's got fifteen endings, but Star Wars gladiator now you said star wars is you know that's untouchable almost Mm -hmm. where if you're gonna if you're gonna throw all nine i i listen i'm a i'm a star wars buff as are you i always struggle to remember how many bloody films there are so ignoring the clone wars if we're gonna put all nine films there's 10 films including the eight saga films rogue one solo 10 films in including all 10 films now in your list of great of where do you reckon Gladiator comes in your all-time favourite when mm. you're going to include all those ten films?
0: Well, you say ten, it probably come at eleven.
1: <laughs> yes, now yeah okay, yeah, bloody hell. So it's uh, even uh, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Uh,
0: yes, I would say actually though, no, I do like uh, I like Solo, but I would probably put Gladiator over Solo.
1: Interesting. Oh, and again. Well, again, there's there's no right or wrong answer to that because it's it's personal opinion. And when I, I I quite enjoy Attack of the Clones and the Phantom Menace for you know for what they're worth and for all of their flaws. Well, but, people uh,
0: go crazy when I put my like top list or, you know my rankings of Star Wars movies because most of the time, A New Hope is at the bottom. Because really? It's just what, but it's just you know it all depends on what I grew up with. Like at the top, it's obviously Revenge of the At the bottom, it's A New Hope. It's and people just can't get over that. Fathom
1: that? <laughs> no, no. I guess that's. My, my incredulity was basically because I've just, it's still not something you hear, but um, to be fair, A New Hope's one of the ones I re-watched the least. And again, it's not because I dislike it, because I, I adore A New Hope,
0: but... That's the mean, I like all those films, all that, but it's just, and the rankings change a little bit. Right? Avengers, if it's always at the top, Rogue One is second, and those two normally never change, but mm-hmm. it's always the ones under that. Sometimes it will just change, depending on what type of mood I'm in. Yeah, but I, football, I love yeah. all of them, but it's just obviously they need to go somewhere.
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, you've only got 10 spaces. So. Okay, that's fair enough. So, Gladiator just about pieces the top 10, just, in, just edges out solo then. Yes. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, anybody out there, let us know what you thought about Gladiator. We'd absolutely love to hear your thoughts. Did you like the film? Did you think it was a load of hogwash? What, were there any moments which we didn't mention of course this film this podcast could have been four hours long if we went through the whole thing was there anything we didn't mention that he liked was there anything that we did mention he liked was there anything we mentioned he didn't like do did we just <laughs> sound like a bunch of people blabbering on let us know but of course uh, yeah but of course as we do on the back row please keep it civil because we're all fan- film fans in the end of the day but that is it the lights are up that is it for this episode of Retrospectives from the back row what I watched tonight I want to thank you back my guest Katie for giving up her time and coming on to talk some to gladiator tonight
0: Thank you. It was great. It's actually great to finally talk to you. I listen to you and uh, Master Blywalk every week. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's almost like a way of me giving it back, giving back to you as well. So it Thank was great. Thank you very much.
1: Your support is, is uh, always appreciated in any podcast that we do. So that's great to talk to you and I'm glad we got to do it about a film which you have so much passion for. Great conversation. Um, before we go then, if anybody's listening to this and thinks that Kate is a bit of a ledge, and if they are, <laughs> you're damn right, where can the world find you online?
0: Uh, I'm normally on everything at KT with free <laughs> Ease120. Don't ask me why it's free Ease. I think I was young at the time and I just left my finger on the E key. <laughs> <laughs> but I also stream on Twitch at KT with free Ease120. And I also do have a podcast of my own if I'm allowed to plug it. Of course you are. I'm not on it as much as I'd like to be recent at, at the moment because of work. But um it is the Entertainer's podcast, which is basically just we talk about you know what what we've been watching and what we've been playing. We talk about some sport. We talk. about We have a bit of gaming news in there and stuff. And at the moment, we've got a challenge where we've two hundred and fifty movie challenge where we pick a different movie every week. Really? I've fallen behind a little bit, <laughs> but because um, I've not been on. But uh pick a different movie every week from this two hundred and fifteen movie list off IMDb, and yep. we basically watch it and we talk about it. And I think you've contributed to one of those films. And like, uh, what was it, Gladiator? Uh,
1: I think. It- it's probably the Exorcist because that's all I ever bloody talk about.
0: <laughs> no, but there's been so many good films we've watched on that but I've I've watched because of that challenge so it's, it's it's actually quite um enlightening if that's the right word to use but no nope, yep entertain the entertained nerds
1: Go check it out. It's a bloody good idea, actually. Um, it's a real good way of learning about watching new films, which you may not have watched before, or you may not even to films watch. On yeah. There as well, yeah. I'm a, foreign exactly. films, anime films, old films, black and white films. You know, at the end of the day, film is film. So um, if it's got a good story, it's a good film. Um, yeah, go and check out that um, pop culture behemoth. Uh, at the over really the entertain nerds and join in the conversation as well. Good conversation, good show. Um, but yeah, go check out KT or as we know her in the in the podcast world, KT. So go check <laughs> out her stuff if you want to find if you want to find the show. You can find that at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk All of the uh, movie reviews go up on there. Uh, obviously, Rotten Tomatoes we're certified, so go check us out on there. By us, I mean me. So all of that, all the, all the reviews go on there social media what I watch tonight across Instagram and Twitter I'm on Facebook too don't really use it all that often uh, so for Instagram and Twitter but yeah let us know what you thought about the show if you like what you hear leave us a good review helps the show out an awful lot if you don't like what you hear don't say anything don't help anyone mm-hmm. at all so um, yeah so once again thank you to Katie thank you to everybody who's given up your time to listen I hope you enjoyed it uh, but it's from me until next time see ya